Please stand by. Good day, everyone, and welcome to the BMC Connect with TrueSight Capacity Optimization 10.0, Managing Capacity in an OpenStack Environment Webinar. Today's webinar is being recorded, and at this time, I'd like to turn the call over to Mr. Steve Johnson. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you, Amy. Um, welcome, everybody, to uh, this, this next in the um, fourth series of the BMC Capacity Optimization Technical Webinars. Uh, as you can see from the title, today's topic will be um, with regards sharing information uh, about the OpenStack environment and BMC's uh, product options for managing capacity in, in that environment. The speaker today will be uh, our product development architect, Mr. Sudhir Apt. And uh, this will be a Q&A session via the Q&A window that you'll see on the right side of the display that you should have in front of you at this point in time. Um, the, the session is being recorded and will be available on the, uh, the BMC Capacity Optimization Community location of the event and also will be available as an iTunes podcast. Uh, details for that will be available uh, after the event has concluded uh, and a little bit later this week. So on, on that note, I'll hand over to Sudhir to start the session. So Sudhir, over to you. Thank you, Steve. Uh, this is Sudhir Apte. Um, connect with BNC through site capacity optimization 10.0, uh, how to manage capacity in an open stack environment. Um, just a few things before we get started. I want to make sure to set expectations. The idea is that uh, we will describe features that are available in 10.0, which is the latest GA release of true site capacity optimization. And the focus here is on understanding how to manage capacity in an open stack environment. Um, for future uh, features in the roadmap and so on, we can certainly have that discussion at a different time. Uh, I want to make sure to convey how we manage uh, OpenStack uh, using TrueSight Capacity Optimization. So the agenda for today, uh, first I'll introduce uh, what we mean by OpenStack, what it is, assuming that you don't know anything about it, uh, and I'll go through some of the configurations and evolution of OpenStack as it exists today. Then we'll go into how to collect data into two-site capacity optimization so we can manage the capacity of this environment. And finally, we'll spend a little bit of time talking about the different use cases and how you can satisfy them uh, with two-site capacity optimization. Uh, of course, as you can see, this is a, a rather large topic. So we'll be going through uh, fairly rapidly, uh, but I'll try to spend enough time in the beginning to make sure everybody's up to speed. You may have seen open stack environments in in your customer's uh, IT environment? Um, if so, you should try to match up what I'm describing here with what you see. And as I will describe during the rest of this presentation, we've seen many different configurations. So it's very important to understand the details of how exactly OpenStack is implemented. So to introduce uh, what OpenStack means, what is it exactly? Uh, it is known as a cloud operating system. Uh, that tells you that it's trying to help you to manage uh, deployed cloud. It could be a private cloud or a public cloud, depending on whether the user is an enterprise or a provider for other enterprises. It's an infrastructure as a service, IaaS software. 
you can use it to manage compute, storage, and network resources that you can uh, use uh, on a rental basis. Uh, or if you have an in-house cloud, a private cloud, uh, then your customers will be in-house and you may or may not be charging them for anything. But in that case, it becomes uh, simply a larger scale way of managing virtualized infrastructure with some level of self-help. Uh, the key thing about OpenStack is that it's open source. And the APIs are all public. The code is also public. Uh, OpenStack.org uh, is the name of the website where you can download everything, including the documentation. Now, when we say it's an infrastructure as a service software, uh, we mean, of course, that you can create virtual machines, uh, virtual storage, and virtual networks. Um, so that's the infrastructure part of it. But in addition, there is also a service that's part of OpenStack called Heat, which is used for orchestrating services or combinations of applications that you can deploy directly. So that's a little bit going beyond infrastructure. So keep that in mind. So what can it do, OpenStack? When you download it and install it, it allows you to do infrastructure as a service, which means you can start, stop, and resume a VM called an instance. You can do things like create and attach a volume to that instance. By that, we mean a storage disk. You can take snapshots of it and so on. So these are the kinds of uh, typically what we call deployment and automation type functions that you can do. You can also offer these features, these functions, to the end users so that they can do some level of self-help so they can create their own VMs and so forth. Very similar to Cloud Lifecycle Manager, CLM. From an end user's perspective and from the cloud provider's perspective, the view of, of OpenStack looks something like this. It's a web-based dashboard uh, known as Horizon. You log in with a username and password that's been created for you by the provider. And then you can see Project by project, um, the word project is used for what we might call a tenant. Depending on what you can see, how many projects you can see. For each project, you can see the compute instances, volumes, the images that stand for the operating system image, typically, and uh, all the access and security um, features. You can also see networks, object stores, and orchestration pieces. And there's an admin section to the dashboard as well, which can be visible to you if you have the privileges. So on the right-hand side in this picture, you see some instances, that is VM, uh, that are currently running. You can see there's an image name associated with a VM. That tells you the operating system image that was used to launch the image, to la launch the VM. Uh, IP addresses, the size uh, refers to a predefined template that you can use to run the VMs. For example, m1.tiny might be a one gigabyte VM, for example. Um, you also see something called availability zone, uh, which is a way of the end user specifying where this instance should be launched in what portion of the infrastructure. We'll go into that in a little more detail later. And then the task, meaning the current automation status 
of this launch command. It's scheduled, not yet done, and so forth. You can launch an instance. Uh, when you do that, you see um, the details. You can choose which availability zone you want to launch the instance into. Usually the reason for doing this is for introducing high availability. So for example, you might have um, two VMs that are providing backup for each other in a highly available configuration. And in that case, you probably want to launch them in two different availability zones. That would be an example of why you would use availability zones. You can give the instance a name. And then for flavor, there are some predefined flavors, like the one I was mentioning before. Plus, you can create your own flavors. That's what's been here, done here in one.bmc. Instance count is how many you want. And the boot source, that is, how do you want the VM to be launched, starting from which image? You, can, you have multiple options there, as you can see in the pull-down menu down below on the left. Uh, you can boot from an image. You can boot from a snapshot. You can boot from a volume. Uh, we'll see a little bit of a difference between what a volume means versus an ephemeral storage that's used for launching from an image, for example. You can also boot from an image, which automatically creates a new volume, and boot from a volume snapshot. So these are all options for how you manage the storage for an instance. On the right-hand side, you see um, additional tabs. So you can specify how to create the disk partition and so on. Uh, and the bottom right, you can select what kinds of virtual networks you want this instance to be running on. So it's all the things you might expect. There is also some summary data on a per hypervisor, which is per host level. So how many vCPUs you've used, how much memory you've used, how much disk you've used. For a list of all the hypervisors and compute hosts, uh, this distinction is a little bit um, historical. Uh, hypervisor refers to the actual hypervisor like KVM or Zen that is used to run the VM, whereas compute host is used for the hardware that's supporting it. Generally speaking, these are one-to-one. -one. Uh, for this presentation, it doesn't matter. But in this UI, you can see all of these. Presumably, it's the cloud provider who's interested in this view. So they are the ones who need to know the host names and what type of hypervisor it is and how many CPUs uh, it has, how many cores versus how many vCPUs are actually running, how much storage it has available versus used, and so on. Then there is the concept of host aggregates, where a provider can group together multiple hosts into larger groupings called host aggregates. And these host aggregates can be part of availability zones. So there is the obvious way of presenting these in the UI that you see. So here you can see a host aggregate called HA test, and it's part of an availability zone called AZ test. On the bottom left and bottom right, you can see the screens for creating a new host aggregate and for adding hosts. Uh, to the host aggregate. The flavors that I was referring to uh, can also be uh, managed. So um, the existing flavors that come when you install OpenStack are the ones that you see here on the screen, m1.tiny, m1.small, and so on. And you can see their descriptions here. 
effectively in the stable. How many vCPUs, how much RAM, how large the root disk is when the instance is launched, and how large the ephemeral disk is. Uh, we'll go into that in a little more detail. You can also create your own flavors, as you can see with the Create Flavor dialog box, where you can assign it to your own name and specify these parameters on your own. So this is like a template that you can use to launch VMs. There's also a Volumes tab where you can see all the storage volumes that you've created and made available. These are block storage volumes, so you can create the volume separately from your VM instance and then attach it to a VM instance. So this is the other kind of disk. When you install the OpenStack pieces on a machine, and it can be any machine as long as it's Linux, you can uh, view the instances that are running uh, using a command line client as well. Uh, here you can see three different windows that I've opened. On one, you can uh, you can issue the command line uh, Nova, which is the name of the service uh, within OpenStack that deals with compute instances. Here, the Nova list command shows you how many instances are actually running on this host and their current status and their power state and so on. In the second window, you can see a list of the aggregates that have been defined. That is, the host aggregates that I mentioned before that are lists of hosts. And the third one shows you the list of volumes that are defined in this Nova instance. So, so far, we've talked about a UI and a CLI. Uh, we can summarize the terminology a little bit for OpenStack of what we've seen so far. So in OpenStack, you often call a server or an instance what we otherwise call a virtual machine. And that's the machine that's usually used by the end user. If you're an OpenStack end user, you probably are not interested in the hosts, which is the next one, compute node or hypervisor node is what it's called. Um, in true site capacity optimization, we usually call them virtual hosts. And they can be KVM or Zen server or VMware uh, clusters and so on. The third item is image, which is a um, what you might call a virtual machine template. Uh, it's really the uh, operating system image from which you are going to boot an instance. A volume or a block volume is a virtual disk that you can attach to a virtual machine. An ephemeral volume is a volume that's created automatically when you launch an instance, and when you uh, stop the instance or delete it, the ephemeral volume goes away. The idea is that this is a virtual disk that is stored on a temporary storage area on the host on which the instance is running versus a persistent volume, which is the kind that you usually call a volume or a block volume. That's created independently and then attached to a VM or detached. You can detach it and attach it to a different VM, for example, and that's why it's called persistent. There is a block storage service within OpenStack, which is a service by which you can create, delete, and manage these block volumes. There's an image service with which you can create, delete, and manage these VM templates that we talked about earlier, which are simply large files. So this is object storage. Um, 
that's the last one, object storage service is usually used to actually store these images. Uh, this is similar to Amazon S3, where you can create these virtual containers, and within each container you can store large objects as files. And you can access them either with a URL scheme or through a REST API. So that's the basics of what OpenStack is and what you can do with it. Now we'll look in a little more detail on what is this OpenStack beast and how it has suddenly become very popular. Uh, there's an OpenStack Foundation, which has many, many corporate sponsors. You can see all the big names here that are backing it. And they're all interested in having, having an open set of APIs for some key services so that you can implement clouds with them. So let's look at each of these, um, each of these services. So one is for the identity service, that is authentication and authorization. Uh, the name in OpenStack for this service API is Keystone. For compute, we've seen one. It's called Nova. For the object storage service, there is a service called Swift, which is the API that OpenStack uses to present and store objects. The image storage service that's used by Nova to download an operating system image and then launch an instance from it is called Glance. Uh, the block storage service is called Cinder, which somehow has some storage behind it. And when you create a volume, it gives you that much storage in the form of a block volume. Uh, the network service is called Neutron. And this is a service that's used internally in OpenStack to define private and public networks for the instances to use. So in a schematic sense, it's, uh, you can put these keywords on a screen so that you can understand them better. The dashboard horizon is the UI for all of these components that have UIs. At the bottom, there's the identity service or keystone, which provides the underlying authorization and authentication. These are all APIs that are internally used in OpenStack. And then from left to right, there are Neutron and Cinder, which are providing network services. You can create and delete networks. You can create and delete block storage volumes. Compute, which is in many ways the core, which is Nova. This provides an API so that you can create new instances. You can add new host nodes. And you can attach networks and block storages to instances. The image service is used from Nova in order to store the images for operating systems. And image in turn uses the object storage API Swift with which you can store objects, large objects, in an Amazon S3-like method. Uh, the object storage, of course, is also directly usable by the compute, so by the individual instances. So you could write applications that you run in instances, and they don't just need block storage, but they could also use these, these object storage to save their data. So here's an example of how an OpenStack environment could be deployed. This is an example of a very small environment, which is presumably used for testing. So there are three or four machines you can see here. Um, bottom left is one or more of the compute nodes, which are running hypervisors and the instances that run on them. Um, then next to it is the block storage node, 
where there is some machine that is offering block storage over the network. And it's probably running cinder volume uh, service. Um, there could be NFS server or some other way to, to add storage, and that's on the right-hand side. And on the top, in this example, there is one machine, uh, presumably a standalone Linux machine or maybe a large VM, uh, which somebody might refer to as the cloud controller node for the OpenStack components that actually implement OpenStack. It involves lots of services like database, message queue, uh, API services for various of these services that I mentioned before, uh, scheduler that can take these tasks when you ask to launch a VM and schedule it as a task to be done in the future, um, an identity service that is responsible for authentication and authorization, uh, the image service and the block storage service. So this is all the sort of overhead or the management pieces for OpenStack. But there's no, um, there's no rule that says all of these have to run on one machine. In fact, you probably don't want to run on, on, the, on one machine because you want to scale it out as well as you want high availability. So in, an, uh, in a more production environment, you're likely to see multiple cloud controller nodes, perhaps with some selected services on each node. Uh, it is also common to see load balancers to scale out some of these services. It is also common to see some of the controller services running on the compute nodes for additional scalability. Now, let's talk about the Nova compute service. So on the left-hand side of this table, you see a list of features. Uh, for example, attach block volume to an instance, detach a block volume from an instance, evacuate instances from a host, which is using um, the API to move the VMs away from a host in preparation for maintenance activities, uh, check guest instance status, guest host status, and so on, launch instance, reboot instance. So all of these features can be, can be presented by many implementations of NOVA. On the top, you see the column names, and now you see what I mean by that. The Hyper-V, uh, LibVirt KVM, uh, libvirt LXC, Parallels, and so on. These are all different kinds of hypervisors that can present Nova. So the Nova API is the only part that's standardized. The back end of Nova is implemented differently for all these different hypervisors. Out of these, the most commonly used um, environment that we have seen, and that sort of makes sense, and the one that's best supported in terms of number of features supported, is the KVM, uh, libvirt-based uh, based columns on x86. So that's the fourth column from the left. And there are these large matrices of features and hypervisor types that are on the OpenStack.org website that are updated for every release of OpenStack. So you can see that OpenStack is not just one thing. It is a standard that's used to deliver many things. Um, there are OpenStack implementations for each of these hypervisors. Now moving on to Cinder, where, which is the volume service where you can create storage volumes. There are many, many drivers for Cinder as well, which you can see on the, down the bottom on the left side. So these are all um, 
storage uh, array vendors. And these array vendors have written drivers in Cinder for their own implementations. And then you can see the operations that they support along the top as the column names, create volume, delete volume, attach volume, and so forth. Um, within this uh, matrix, you see the release names of OpenStack, where that feature was first supported for that vendor. So again, even if you look at the storage, just as we did for compute, OpenStack is not just one thing. It is a standardized Cinder API that's backed by many, many storage vendors. So you pick and choose uh, which driver you need depending on which of these vendors you're using for storage. And you don't have to use a vendor either. There are also built-in ways of storing data, and you can expose those as well as Cinder implementations. So uh, the purpose of these slides is to give you an overview of what's out there. Um, I direct your attention to what you see on the third row, RBD Ceph. Um, Ceph is an open source uh, data storage uh, cluster that is also becoming more and more popular in shops for production implementations. Before we leave, uh, I'd like to make sure that we understand the difference between ephemeral disks and block volumes as these terms are used in OpenStack. Well, on the left-hand side, you have a KVM host, which is one of the hypervisors supported by Nova. And on the KVM host, you can see below it all these different um, directories visible on the host, uh, which are based on partitions on devices attached directly to the host. And you can see that uh, there is a directory called slash cinder slash volumes, and when you normally deploy OpenStack, uh, you get the ability to create ephemeral disks and store them directly on the local device like that, under that directory. And these are the ephemeral disks on the left, which are created automatically when you launch a volume. I'm sorry, when you launch an instance. So when you launch an instance, depending on its flavor and its size, an appropriate size disk is created as an ephemeral disk on the host, and that is used to run the VM. And then separately, on the right-hand side, you see a different host called Cinder Storage Host here, which is running the Cinder Storage Service. And it is providing some storage which is available in some way. Either it is a vendor that is uh, supporting Cinder by writing their own driver for their own implementation so that it can go to an EMC array or NetApp filer or something like that. Or it could be a Cinder storage host that's running a version of Cinder with a driver that works on locally attached disks on a Linux machine. And in any case, they look the same to the compute host. Uh, the, the compute host, that is Nova, creates these storage pool types and uses those to gather together all the Cinder storage volumes that you have. So you can create volume called a block volume and separately attach it to the guest. And at that point, the guest can view the new, newly created volume and can use it for storing data. You can detach it afterwards and perhaps reattach it to a different instance 
or to the same instance after it has been moved to a different host. There are some notes are written in blue in the center that gives you some idea of the complexity. Uh, in OpenStack releases up to the Kilo release, which is the currently being created release, um, the KVM host sees an iSCSI disk, that is the host itself sees a disk, which is then presented to the guest. Whereas in future releases starting from Kilo onwards, it is possible to import the iSCSI disk as a network type which is directly presented to the, de to the guest. So you can see that from a deployment perspective, there's no difference before Kilo and after Kilo. But from a capacity management perspective, it's a big difference because in order to see these volumes, you can no longer rely on seeing them on the KVM host. You have to have some other means of seeing these volumes. Okay, one last slide on the evolution of OpenStack, how it's been developed over the years. On the top, um, I've listed some of the release names that have been used recently. Folsom, Grizzly, Havana, Icehouse, Juno, Kilo, and Liberty, which is the upcoming release, the, after, the one after Kilo. And um, on the left-hand side, you see the different kinds of services, the identity service, Keystone, the computer service, Nova, and so on. And some key features that were released in certain years with certain release names. So the UUID tokens, PKI tokens. Um, the reason for this slide is to give you an idea of how rapidly uh, this OpenStack software is evolving. So hypervisors have been added. Power VM was removed in 2014. Um, the idea of attaching quotas at the project or tenant level, and then uh, to spread those quotas down to the user level, that's another feature that was added lately. Uh, different types of storage attachments are possible. Um, the scheduler that decides where to place a new instance has been improved several times. Um, the glance backends have been added. So Sheepdog is a an open source uh, storage cluster. Uh, and a Sheepdog, um, let's say a backend for Cinder, uh, can also be used as a glance backend. That's that feature there. Uh, GridFS, VMware data stores, they're all possible to use as Glance backends. Glance, if you remember, is the image service. There are various networking improvements, including plugins that directly com communicate with vendor switches, including Brocade and Cisco. Routers, load balancers that are aware of these networking. And then for Cinder, there are different kinds of backend drivers that have been introduced. To summarize, in OpenStack, there are multiple components that are built and released by distributed teams as different OSS projects, open source projects. Um, the core pieces of these are GNU Linux, Libvirt, KVM, which is one of the most popular hypervisors. And then all these services that are part of OpenStack, Nova, Cinder, Swift, Glance, Keystone, and so on. All these come with plugins and drivers that are contributed by a large set of vendors. And you can pick and choose these and create a bundle distribution of OpenStack. Multiple groups and companies create their own distributions. They're all based on the same core OpenStack code that's available on OpenStack.org, 
but they might add some convenient features to install, um, say, their own storage drivers by default, and so on. All these distributions, at least so far, always contain the Nova service, and they're almost always based on the KVM hypervisor. Uh, there are also supporting OSS components that have been added over the years, and they're becoming popular. So one of them is the one I outlined before, the Ceph distributed storage storage cluster. So on the right-hand side, the conclusion so far from what we've seen is when somebody asks, do you support OpenStack? It's not a simple question. You must look at the exact combination that's deployed, what kind of hypervisor, what kind of object storage, and what kind of policy they use for ephemeral versus block storage. Do they use a lot of these block volumes and attach them later, or do they rely on ephemeral storage? That a lot depends on how the applications expect to run. You also need to understand some additional supporting components, uh, commercial components like storage, uh, network, uh, and so on, and the open source uh, software components and which exact releases they're deploying in test and in production. Because there are certain kinds of deployments that are easy to use, easy to deploy, and that makes sense for test or um, development environments. But they are not suitable for production environments. Because in production, at the very least, you need HA. So the ask uh, for people who are seeing this is, if you have customers who talk about OpenStack or who are inquiring about it, uh, please try to qualify uh, the answers to these questions and talk to us. We are always curious to know what customers are thinking and wh where they're going with, with their uh, testing of OpenStack. So now we'll talk a little bit about how to collect data into TrueSight capacity optimization, uh, concentrating on the 10 features. That's where we are in the agenda. So what are the data sources relevant to OpenStack? On the left-hand side, there are some boxes that represent various pieces of OpenStack. So at the top, there's an OpenStack admin UI, of course. And then there are a bunch of components that we generally deploy on OpenStack controllers, but which could also be deployed on the compute nodes. There's a Nova database where Nova keeps track of all the instances and hosts and where they're running and so forth. There's a scheduler component that decides where to run an instance. There's the Nova API that allows an external system to talk to Nova and to extract data from it. So clearly, that's the first place you go to get some kind of information. So on the right-hand side, you see that for Nova API, there is a connector available in TrueSight Capacity Optimization 10.0 out of the box which connects to the Nova API and gets a list of hypervisors, VMs, and their relationships, and also some configuration information about them. It also extracts any defined host aggregates, availability zones, and relationships, and also regions which are higher level aggregations of host aggregates and availability zones. Regions are typically geographic regions. Uh, in addition to these, it also extracts what are called tenants, used to be called projects in Nova, which contain VMs or own VMs. So these tenant VM relationships and some configuration information is also extracted through this API. So that's one connector. Then for the individual OpenStack controller pieces, of course, uh, they all run on Linux. 
So you could you could extract uh, performance data from those OSs. Um, and that's been available, of course, for a long time in true site capacity optimization. So you could extract operating system level performance data for all of the OpenStack components. And you can extract process level and workload performance data using agents. Then there is an optional set of components called Silometer that I've not mentioned before. Silometer is a built-in metering component for OpenStack. So if you deploy this, it will periodically poll and gather events from the OpenStack controllers and store performance-related uh, metrics as well as lots of other kinds of metrics in a data store called the Silometer store. And Silometer also has an API. So it's possible to write a custom extractor to go against this API. Uh, the kinds of information you have here are hypervisor performance data, if you collect and configure Silometer to store it. Uh, similarly, VM performance data, if you collect and configure and store it. Uh, there could also be other performance data like storage, where collected and configured. At the very bottom, of course, there are the hypervisors, the compute nodes, which are running the hypervisors themselves and supporting all the VMs running the guest OSs. Here, of course, as, as before, hypervisor access has always been part of true site capacity optimization. Depending on the hypervisor type, you can get hypervisor performance data and VM performance data, as well as the relationships between hypervisors and the VMs. Um, as you might know, in 10.0, out of the box, you can get gateway server and agent-based data from most platforms. And in particular, there's one that's popular, which is Red Hat Enterprise Virtualization, uh, RevM. And through that, we have a direct connector also in 10.0 that can extract data for KVM hosts that use Red Hat Enterprise uh, Virtualization Manager. Uh, similarly, by running agents inside the guest, you can, of course, get the OS level and application performance data through agents. So these are all the data sources that are relevant to OpenStack. Uh, we'll talk about a few of them here, the ones that are out of the box. So there's the out of the box connector for OpenStack, Nova. So um, it's also packaged by ISVs, the OpenStack that you get. In all cases, Nova is included. Uh, and it has built-in support, effectively, for multiple hypervisor technology. So regardless of what kind of hypervisor is running the instances, the Nova API is the same. We extract all these pooling constructs, host aggregates, availability zones, and so forth. We extract tenants. And the admin dashboard for cloud admin is the, is the horizon dashboard that I was talking about before. And you can see these relationships in that dashboard. So those same relationships are extracted by this Nova extractor. So this ETL supports OpenStack versions Grizzly, Havana, and Icehouse. Uh, it leverages the OpenStack Nova APIs to import all these infrastructure entities and tenants. Uh, it also extracts basic configuration metrics, uh, for example, the number of vCPUs requested for an instance, and so on. Uh, of course, configuration and performance metrics um, beyond that must be extracted from other ETLs, depending on which hypervisor is being used. 
and it also extracts all the cloud topology relationships. So the infrastructure hierarchy and the tenant hierarchy. So in a KVM example, you might have the true site capacity optimization OpenStack ETL, the Nova API ETL deployed to import the resource and tenant hierarchies. And at the same time, you could deploy a true site capacity optimization gateway server at the bottom, and it can extract data from agents uh, at all these points and then import the data into two-site capacity optimization via the parser, the VizParser ETL. The open stack hierarchy looks like this. On the left-hand side, you see uh, two hierarchies. There is the cloud hierarchy at the bottom, and there's the infrastructure hierarchy on the top. The infrastructure hierarchy, populated by the ETL, contains a top-level construct called the cloud. And then within the cloud, the data aggregated from host aggregate levels and finally from the host levels. So you can see in the hierarchy the host aggregates, the hosts, and the instances. At the bottom, the tenant hierarchy, you see a hierarchy representing the tenants of the projects and their relationships to the VMs that contained in them. So for each tenant, you can see which VMs it is using. You can see the hierarchy, of course, in the hierarchy tab in the workspace. And you can see the host aggregates also in the hierarchy tab in the workplace. So you can see the parents and children. Here's an example of a tenant hierarchy where you can see for a tenant um, all the children instances, again, in the hierarchy tab. So of course, you can see you can do everything with this that you used to in terms of analyses and models and aggregation. So the OpenStack entities themselves appear in the workspace with some metrics, requested CPU number and requested disk size and so on, that are extracted from the OpenStack Nova API. To configure the OpenStack connector, you provided the identity service URL, which is the URL that is required for you to actually get permission to access anything in Nova. And then uh, for that, you typically have a username and password. You need an authenticated user with admin role, which allows you to see across all, all tenants and extract all the infrastructure entities and relationships. And that's pretty much all you need as far as configuring the OpenStack extractor. After that, it runs periodically and extracts all of these things that I described to you. Now, as I said, in order to get performance and configuration data from the underlying compute hosts, you need to share these uh, entities, the entity catalog, with a different ETL. So you, you should make sure to share an entity catalog with those other ETLs. Typically, the other ETL may be a gateway server ETL. The gateway server ETL, uh, this is the standard architecture for, for collecting data from agents. So the agents, wherever you have them deployed, collect data to the gateway server. And from the this file parser integration, the ETL engine server uh, loads the data into the database. And finally, it's visible in the gateways, in the uh, true site capacity optimization console. You can select the platforms that you want to collect from, depending on which hypervisor you have under OpenStack. 
in 10.0, we've made the configuration of collection metrics easier. Um, virtual nodes are now an option right there, instead of you having to create a separate ETL as you had to before. There's also an auto-create option in a large environment, so that you can just discover, um, given the gateway server, how many ETLs you need, and, and the UI will walk you through a wizard to create those ETLs. So that way, uh, all of the best practices for how many ETLs you need, how many domains you need, how many systems you need per domain, all those are already incorporated into the wizard. That makes it easier to set up a first-time collection. Once you have these gateway servers, you can view them, and you can view the connectors that are collecting data for them. The other method that I mentioned for collecting data from KVM hosts is in the case where the KVM hosts are being managed through Red Hat Enterprise Virtualization Manager, which is sort of analogous to vCenter, where you install one of these Red Hat Enterprise Virtualization Managers, and it has a database. And it periodically collects data from all of these compute hosts running KVM and the instances running on those. Plus, it has some additional constructs that I'll describe now. And this Red Hat Enterprise Virtualization Manager component forms a database from which you can extract data easily without having to install agents on all of the individual compute hosts. So uh, there are some constructs that are peculiar to Red Hat Enterprise Virtualization Manager. Um, there's a construct called data center, which is analogous to a vCenter data center. It contains multiple clusters. And in this example, you see a virtual cluster containing two hosts, each running two VMs. And then the storage that these VMs are using is coming from a different cluster, which is a specifically designated storage cluster. And here you see one that is used to define what's called a storage domain, D1, that's roughly analogous to a a vSphere data store. And so these disks that are created on this storage cluster are used by the virtual cluster within the same data center. So on the left-hand side, virtual clusters contain physical hosts, which are running VMs. The storage clusters contain storage hosts, which are implementing storage domains. And storage domains are used by the virtual clusters to store the disks for the VM. And data centers contain a mixture of both kinds of clusters. And that is the way to organize clusters into larger units in Red Hat, Red Hat Enterprise Virtualization Manager. So knowing this, we have out of the box a Red Hat Enterprise Virtualization Manager extractor, which is a extractor service, uh, which is a service connector, which runs on a periodic basis, uh, typically hourly and extracts the hierarchy as well as performance metrics. So this is the domain tree that's imported by this extractor service. You can see the data centers containing virtual clusters, containing virtual machines. Similarly, you can see the data center containing the storage domains that belong to storage clusters uh, that contain storage hosts. So we have visibility into all of those constructs that I mentioned before. Uh, the same KVM views that are built in 
in TrueSight Capacity Optimization for managing performance of KVM hosts are also populated using this Red Hat Enterprise Virtualization Manager Extractor Service. So whether you are running agents on the individual KVM hosts and extracting performance data that way, or whether you are implementing a Red Hat Enterprise Virtualization Manager ETL service, uh, these views look the same. There are a few metrics that are gaps in the rev connector. It does not support the network file system and disk metrics from certain pages. So there you will see no data available for the built-in views. But by and large, you have the pieces you need in order to manage an open stack environment. There are some detailed comparisons for which metrics and where are the gaps between these two data sources the BPA viz file extractor and the rev extractor. So we've seen how to collect data into TrueSight capacity optimization from an OpenStack environment in some common cases. Typically the common case we're talking about is one running KVM. And now what can you do with the data? So if you just step back from OpenStack and look at clouds in general, there are some use cases that we often encounter in the field that make sense for deploying true-site capacity optimization. So I'll briefly walk you through these use cases and then show you how some of them can be done today with OpenStack for true-site capacity optimization 10.0. The first two rows are the most common ones and the easiest to sort of understand and explain. That is the capacity visibility, which has views and reports showing aggregated CPU, memory, disk, network, used, and spare capacity. So used and spare for all of these features. And typically, for true-site capacity optimization, you achieve these using built-in, out-of-the-box views or by analyses in the workspace. So that is the basic capacity visibility. And capacity analysis is going beyond that. To, to do manual analysis, usually for early warning of capacity risks, and for automated detection of opportunities for savings or for risks. So for manual analysis, you use the workspace. And for automated analysis, you use the capacity pool views and all the related views. Plus, you have the automatically created recommendations and alerts in general. So depending on the platform, uh, various of these features are available in TrueSight capacity optimization out of the box or you can create custom views where they make sense. The cloud metering is another use case that customers are often interested in, which is to show back the usage reporting on a tenant by tenant basis. And for that, we have the chargeback module in TrueSight Capacity Optimization. As you know, any metric that's extracted into TrueSight Capacity Optimization can be used as the basis for creating uh, usage and for deploying cost models on top of it. Similarly, any tenants uh, that have been extracted either from a CMDB or from, uh, let's say, OpenStack uh, are available as targets for the chargeback views so that you can allocate uh, usage and billing sort of um, cost totals to individual tenants. Then there's uh, capacity planning in general, that is a what-if type analysis where you're trying to size servers and services for hardware. And the typical role here is in P2V or V2V type studies using the virtualization planner. 
There's integrated demand and capacity management, which lets you resolve capacity for projects in advance and plan hardware deployments and so on. For which there's a new feature in Tenor called reservations. And then there are some more um, specific cases for clouds, uh, which are a little um, non-traditional use cases. So placement during cloud provisioning. So that's in the middle of an automated provisioning where some scheduler component in a cloud management system is trying to place VMs on a host or trying to place disks on a set of data stores. Uh, there, um, two-site capacity optimization could provide a service to give placement advice based on actual usage. And we have an example of that, which is CAPA, Capacity Aware Placement Advice, which is a service that was written specifically to integrate with cloud lifecycle management, CLM, in the case of VMware clouds. So that's another use case that's of interest. And then uh, finally, rebalancing or defrag use case, where you want to do a batch mode optimization of a large environment. So you want to analyze the environment and see where you're unbalanced and figure out where you should move workloads from one part of the cloud to another part, uh, which is a highly manual activity. But it can be uh, helped by TrueSight by recommending uh, which clusters are the ones that need the most um, workloads to be moved away versus which are the clusters that have the most spare capacity for hosting new new workloads. You can do a V2V study in Virtualization Planner, which will let you find the destination cluster as well. So this was a step back to look at the overall view of what you could possibly do for any cloud. Now let's try to apply a few of these things for OpenStack. So the thing to understand about OpenStack deployments is there are these different types of OpenStack nodes, some of which we've already seen. So compute nodes, these appear as typically KVM hosts. And the relationships between these hosts and their instances, for example, are extracted via the Nova API. And they are grouped into host aggregates available these zones and regions. Instances, uh, which are the VMs, they appear as KVM guests. And again, these relationships are extracted via the Nova API. The instances are also assigned to availability zones and to regions. The instances belong to individual tenants. So these relationships I've already showed you, we do extract them by the out-of-the-box ETL. Then there are things called cloud storage nodes. And these could appear either as KVM guests that have been um, that have the Cinder API and the storage service deployed, or they could be standalone Linux machines. And again, they could have the same services deployed. All you need is some distribution of Linux with a recent enough support for the OpenStack components. And then there are general cloud controller nodes that run all the other pieces of OpenStack that I mentioned a few slides ago. They are also required either to be KVM guests or standalone Linux machines. And we can, we can say that these are using resources, CPU, memory, and disk, which you can refer to as control resources, whereas the other three types you could classify as payload resources, resources that are actually used by the tenants. So for payload resources, capacity visibility is, is fairly straightforward because for compute and for storage, 
You can get CPU, memory, and ephemeral disk storage space on the compute nodes. You can get the size, the total size used and available. And you can see them aggregated by host aggregates, which are groups of hosts, availability zones, which are user-visible large groups of hosts, and region, which are administrator-defined geographic partitions. And all of this can be done easily. Uh, similarly, for storage or sender, you can see storage volumes, the size used and available. Here, it depends on the storage host types, that is, sender backend. Because unlike with Nova, there is no API to extract these independent of the driver. So you need to know something about the, the storage deployment for this. For example, they could have, they have enterprise virtualization storage nodes. Um, the storage nodes that I mentioned earlier, which run a, a file system called Gluster, which is a distributed file system. And that is used to provide the storage domain that I mentioned. So that would be one way of getting data by extracting data about those Gluster nodes using a, probably a um, custom ETL. Similarly, there are Ceph storage clusters, which I have not discussed, but which have been mentioned several times before in an OpenStack production environment where you can have many, a cluster of many machines running Ceph uh, software, which is a Vedas um, library that can be used to access storage, block-level storage as well as other kinds of storage. That requires its own uh, way of getting the data uh, beyond NOVA or Cinder, because that's not standardized. Um, you can also have storage um, volumes that are presented as iSCSI disks and simply uh, served out of a Linux machine. So because Linux has uh, the logical volume manager, LVM, that can be used to partition existing disks into virtual disks. And then it has the SCSI target um, library that has been added in recent Linux versions that can be used to directly create iSCSI disks from it. These iSCSI disks can then be presented to an individual instance through the Fender API. So if this is the back end, for example, then it's possible to extract this information by writing a custom connector to go against the, the machine that's serving the storage volumes. As far as analysis, the models and analyses, they're identical, of course, because all the features in the BCO console can be used. Timeline analysis. Uh, for example, this is CPU and memory utilization percentage over the last two months at the host aggregate level. Uh, the next one shows at the cloud level and so on. You can also create by exception reports. This is as expected. For controller resources, the, the controller nodes, uh, where controller is the generic name we use for any host that runs OpenStack services. As I mentioned before, there's great flexibility in how you deploy these on machines. So you cannot assume that all the control services are running on one machine. They can all be distributed. And some of them could also be run on compute nodes as well. But they all have to be, as far as machine type is concerned, any Linux machine. It could be a VM or a, or a standalone machine. Um, so you would have to analyze a few typical modes for resource usage for these controller nodes. So for example, instance provisioning proceeds as follows, from left to right. In the Nova API, somebody asks to create an instance. So typically be the Horizon dashboard, where the user said, I want to create an instance. So the Nova API 
um, I've skipped some steps here, but eventually it lands up as a request on the scheduler, which is one of the components on the controller nodes. The scheduler gets around, uh, it creates a, uh, a queued request. And at the time that the request comes by, it provisions a new instance on a compute server. So it selects a compute server, a compute node, and provisions it. And it also, meanwhile, updates the Nova database. And the compute node, when it's done creating the instance, uh, it will also update the same database again so that the status is updated. Meanwhile, what the compute node does is it goes to the glance service to get the image from which the instance is to be launched. And the glance service has probably stored the image bits on a back-end Swift service, which is an object store. So there's a get object call. That comes back. And the entire image is transferred. It could be many megabytes large. And that many megabyte image is then um, transferred from the glance service to the compute server, where it is now used to launch a new instance. And so uh, after all that is over, then the Nova database is updated. So as you can see, many of these services are hit multiple times in the course of some of these operations. So um, as far as the capacity of the nodes is concerned, it is uh, limited by different resources, possibly, in different modes. If you go to the OpenStack controller node and you run top on it, you can see control resources visible as process usage on the controller nodes. So you can see, uh, let me see some of these uh, process names. You can see MongoDB running. MongoDB is used uh, in this particular instance by Celometer which was, if you remember, one of the optional components that happens to be deployed on this mode. Uh, MongoDB is an open source database that's used to save the, the metrics that Celometer is collecting. Uh, Kimo KVM is the emulator that runs the VMs. Uh, MySQL database is used to store the Nova, um, the Nova instances and hosts information. You see a Celometer uh, itself. And then there are multiple instances of Nova API and so on. So um, you can see the processes running on here. And of course, that means that you can use investigate. You can deploy an agent on it. You can find the active intervals. You can look at the process statistics for the top 10 processes in Analyze. You can do a Unix process aggregation report. And more. Uh, Conveniently, you can do by user summary also, so that you can define workloads by user. Because it so happens that OpenStack actually defines all its controller services by different usernames. So you create usernames for each, each of these. And so that's very convenient to group together all the, all the process usage. And then you can import the workloads, of course, by selecting in uh, in the charting package, uh, how you want the workloads to be split. And then you can see resource usage by workload. So those are um, some of the common things you could do, uh, depending on what it is that you are most interested in. So to summarize, for capacity in OpenStack environments, uh, all the standard true-site capacity optimization use cases for clouds are possible 
Uh, in most cases, the data collection is out of the box. The most important piece of it, um, I think, for open stack would be the NOVA uh, out-of-the-box ETL. Uh, so all the payload resources can be managed using the out-of-the-box views, chargeback, reservations, etc. I mentioned a wrinkle there for storage. As I said, for storage, there's no built-in API. You have to go um, driver by driver to figure out what you need. The control resources also often require some manual interpretation because the control allowance can be configured in many ways. But as I said, our uh, process level and workload definition capabilities are useful here. So the conclusions on the right-hand side, again, the question, do you support OpenStack, can be answered only by understanding the deployment options selected by the customer. OpenStack itself is rapidly evolving. There are many projects that are part of OpenStack or that are directly related to OpenStack. And it's also important to understand from the customer some of the key drivers about what they're trying to do immediately with, with capacity management. So are they interested in payload capacity management? Uh, then the NOVA API would be very useful. The NOVA API-based extractor could extract all the information they need, at least as far as compute goes for the payload capacity. For the storage capacity, you would have to know what the back end is. And maybe the customer is interested in controller capacity rather than payload capacity, because since OpenStack is rapidly evolving, um, many of them are experimenting with how to deploy these controller resources most responsibly. Um, they're interested in making sure that these services are up all the time, which usually means some form of high availability deployment. But that also means a distributed deployment. And there are some choices in how you can deploy these components. So if they're experimenting with that a lot, then chances are they're interested in managing the capacity of the controllers. So that uh, brings us to the end of today's presentation. I hope this has been useful, a basic background on OpenStack, the components, and what we do out of the box to support it in true site capacity optimization 10.0, plus all the things that can be done in order to discover the customer's needs. And if there are any question and answers, uh, I see there are plenty in the, in the Q&A window. But also, if you have additional questions based on what you see at a customer side, I'd be much appreciated if you could uh, contact one of us and let us know. So, Steve, I think I'll hand it back to you for the reference material. So, okay. Thank you very much, Sudhir. Um, so, these last couple of slides uh, are really just as a reference with regards to uh, access points for the capacity optimization-related information uh, that we've got. This has been discussed today, or accessing um, you know, items such as documentation, the community websites, etc. Um, these will be included in the presentation deck, uh, which, along with the recorded session, will be available on the capacity optimization community site, as mentioned at the start of this session. Um, so on that basis, I quickly just finish scrolling through through these. If there's any more information required, then as Sadia has said, you know, please do either you know, make an inquiry through the uh, community access points or you can log an issue with the BMC support organization and we'll be able to respond via that channel also. And so on that note, I think I will thank everybody for taking the time to attend today's session. Thank you again, Sadia, 
for an excellent presentation as always. And Amy, I'll hand back to you if you could conclude the session for me, please. And thank you. That does conclude today's presentation. Thank you for your participation.